Isn't that a great song? I love those songs that tell the whole story of something from the scriptures like that. So beautiful. Even when he was considered four days late, he was still right on time. He never fails us. He never will fail us. Thank God for that. And he's with us through the ups and downs of life, through the valleys and through the mountains, and through all the experiences we go through. Shall we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a great God. And you gave us your Son to come down to this world, to die for us, to rescue us from our sins. And just like you did with Lazarus, you said our names, you called us out of darkness, from death, and you raised us to life and life everlasting. And so we're so thankful, and we pray that you will speak to our hearts today through the word. May you hide me behind the cross, and may you be glorified, Lord. Please help us to take a lesson home with us that we can meditate on this week. And we just commit this day to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we all have things in our home that are very important to us, but one of the most important things in the home is a smoke detector. And nowadays, not only do we have smoke detectors, but we have carbon monoxide detectors. They can be the difference between life and death. If that goes off, it can save your life. But there's only one problem. If you don't change the batteries and the batteries go dead, that wonderful smoke detector or wonderful carbon monoxide detector will have done you absolutely no good. There have been people that have died as a result of that. But you know, we have something even better than a smoke detector, and even better than a carbon monoxide detector. We have something inside of us that God has given us that is better than anything NASA could come up with, or anything Silicon Valley could come up with, and it's the conscience. The conscience. Each one of us are born with a God-given conscience, and when we become Christians, that conscience is used by the Holy Spirit to speak to us and lead us and guide us to do the right thing, to say the right thing, to not do the wrong things and not say the wrong things. And so today, may the Lord encourage us with the title of our message being A Blameless Conscience. Acts chapter 24 and verse 16 says this, Paul, speaking before the Romans and the Jews were present also, this being so, he said, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. May God bless the reading of his word. I have a dictionary at home, and I haven't used this dictionary for a while because I use the ones online all the time in my devotionals and things, but I decided this time I'm going to get out the old red dictionary. And it's called Webster's New World Dictionary Second College Edition. And it says the conscience is defined as a knowledge or sense of right and wrong with compulsion to do right. Moral judgment that opposes the violation of a previously recognized ethical principle that leads to feelings of guilt. Wow, what a definition. And that's what a conscience does. It's, as I said, it's given by God. And 
We're guided by the Holy Spirit using the Holy Scriptures taking the, and speaking to us through our conscience so that we will be obedient to God and please Him in everything that we do. A man named James H. Augie said this, Conscience is the voice of the soul. Think about that. Conscience is the voice of the soul. Remember Elijah and how God spoke to him, and he didn't speak to him in an earthquake, and he didn't speak to him in, in all these big ways. He spoke to him in a still, small voice. We have to be willing to come before God and let him speak to us. So many times we're doing so much talking and not enough listening. And in the Christian life, we need to do the opposite. We need to do a lot more listening than we do talking. The three things that we're going to look at this morning, briefly, are our conscience moves us. Secondly, our conscience warns us. And third, our conscience bothers us. May God encourage us today. There's a dual function of the conscience. It not only shows us what to do right, wrong, but it also shows us what to do right. And so many times we have to make the decision, are we going to listen or are we going to do it our way? Are we going to go ahead and say it and regret it later? Are we going to go ahead and do it and feel bad about it later? We need to be proactive to listen to God's voice through our conscience on what he wants us to do and say. In Acts chapter 23 and verse 1, when Paul was speaking to the Jewish people, he had been arrested there in Jerusalem. It says, Then Paul looked earnestly at the council and said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Interestingly enough, the high priest had one of his associates, one of the men that was standing nearby, hit Paul across the face. How dare you say you've lived with a good conscience? But Paul was a very strict Pharisee, and he had followed the law all his life. But when he was liberated and he was saved, he continued to learn the scriptures. And he continued to write what God gave him to write in the New Testament. And he proclaimed the gospel, and he used every opportunity to share his faith with others. Yes, the, con the conscience moves us to do right and to not do wrong. It says in Job chapter 1 of Job, and I love this character study of him, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. That is what Job's life was all about. Now it says he was blameless. It doesn't say he was sinless. We're not sinless, but we can be blameless when we're obedient to God, listening to his voice, listening to that still small voice speaking to us. We can be blameless in our behavior and life. Yes, Paul wasn't perfect, and we're not perfect, but he wants us to grow in our faith. Yes, it should be our goal every day to follow that example. This week... I was summoned for jury duty. Well, actually, I was summoned jury duty the previous week. I got the card in the mail. You have to go in to Richmond. I had been in this court 
when I was about 22 years old. And when I went to the court that day, I was dismissed from two different juries. And there was a trial very similar to this one I went to this week. And I was called as a prospective juror, drove my car over to Richmond, and they, they gave out numbers. They gave out numbers to all the jurors. And there was like over 80 people in that, in that pool, huge pool of, of jurors. And the process was a long process to get a jury. And so I was number two. I go, great, at least they'll call me up there and ask me the questions in the beginning and we'll see what happens. But there was a lot of people that were still in the audience and they have to go back this week too. This process is not gonna end to select this jury on this particular trial till maybe what, Tuesday? Maybe Monday, Tuesday they'll have a jury. But anyway, so one of the aspects of the case was to do with homosexuality. It was an abuse case uh, between two people of the same, same gender. And so the defense attorney had his turn to start asking jurors questions. And he asked, is anyone part of a religion that believes that homosexuality is a sin? And different ones were saying things like, well, it's part of my religion, but I don't really believe it myself. And different things like that. So I raised my hand. Number two, go ahead. I said, the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin, and I believe in God's word. I said, God loves everyone, but it is a sin according to the Bible. I'm a born-again Christian, and I live for the Lord, and I serve him. And when he asked me the question, well, how important is that to you? I said, it's huge. It's my life. I live for the Lord to serve him. I do everything for him. So, to make a long story short, <clears throat> when the defense attorney had his chance to start dismissing jurors of the preemptive uh, challenges, he said, number two, you're excused. <laughs> Interestingly enough, guess who was against it? The prosecutor. The prosecutor wanted me, and the defense attorney did not want me. So everybody had to leave the court, including myself. We went outside into the hall, and then I said to one of the jurors, that prospective jurors, I said, I'm, I feel like I'm half in and half out, <laughs> right? So I went in, and they said, uh, number two, you're, you are excused. Thank you very much for your service. And I went on my way rejoicing. Because, <laughs> not because, just because I got out of jury duty, that wasn't, but that I had a chance to testify for the Lord and speak up for Him. And as I was walking out the door, this lady said to me, thank you for standing for your convictions. That just blessed my heart. I was singing all the way home and to the car. I was praising God and saying, thank you, Lord. You gave me another opportunity to stand for you in this wicked, sinful world. May God help us through our conscience to stand up and speak up for our Lord and for what we believe in more importantly now than any other time maybe in history. Yes, Paul says he wanted his conscience 
to be void of offense toward God and men, that's a challenge every day of our life. It's a huge responsibility. It reminds me of the verse it says in Luke chapter 2 and 52 about the Lord Jesus as he grew up as a child and as a young man. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So that's our first point today. Conscience moves us. It will move us the right way and it will move us away for the wrong way. But we have to listen. We have to do it. We have to be obedient to God. And I love the fact that in Scripture memory class, we're on obedience right now. And it's such a blessing. Secondly, the conscience warns us. Now, we have a lot of warnings out there in the world today. And one of them is the earthquake early warning system. And I thought this was very interesting. They have it set up on your, on your smartphone now that you can get an early advance notice of the earthquake before it happens. It's at about five minutes ahead, 15, 20, 15 seconds. Now that's not very much, but it could be the difference between life and death. You can duck and cover and, and prepare yourself a little bit in the 15 seconds. It's better than not having anything. They may improve that a little more in the future, but warnings are very important if we heed the warning. There's all kinds of warnings nowadays. There's beware of dog, right? That's a warning. No trespassing, that's a warning. Another warning is road flooded. A lot of people didn't even heed that warning. When we had all that rain, they were driving right through the water and they got all stuck in there and everything, bad. Bridge out, that could be a problem, right? If you don't take heed to that one. Falling rock. Falling rock, that's another one. High voltage, do not touch, right? That's a warning. Poisonous. Every year there's always people that eat those mushrooms that are the poisonous ones, and they get really sick, and oh, man. But because they don't heed the warning. There's many warnings, and in the Bible there's many warnings. And we need to take heed to those warnings and how they would spare us from so much heartache, so much pain, and so many bad consequences if we would take heed to God's warnings. Very, very important indeed to do that. And the Lord knows. In the Christian life also, there are many temptations, many difficulties and trials that we go through and when it comes to temptation, the Bible tells us to flee temptation. Well, sometimes there's no way for us in that situation to flee, so we need to ask God to help us to resist that temptation. Temptation itself is not sin, but it's, it's a sin when we give in to the temptation. And our conscience is going to fight us all the way. He's not that our conscience does not want us to do that wrong. And that's what the Lord directs. But there's so many different warnings in Scripture. And one of the greatest warnings is the warning of hell, the warning of, of damnation and eternal judgment. I don't know how you can go to bed at night, wake up in the morning, go to work, go through your life with those things hanging. You know, if you don't know the Lord, those things are hanging over your head like the sword of Damocles. Hell. Judgment, the lake of fire, 
damnation. All of these things are the case of those who do not know the Lord, but God loves us. He desires every person to be saved. I love when Joel shared his testimony about how God saved him by his grace and mercy. And that's how he saves us. All we need to do is come to him, heed his warning, and then he gives us life and life eternal. And now he spares us from the wrath to come. I ask you the question this morning, are you born again? Have you come to Christ to be forgiven of your sins? May the Lord help us. You know the difference between the people in prison and the people outside the prison? They have a conscience. We have a conscience. What's the difference? The difference is when they violated their conscience, they went to prison. So many of us, and I mean all human beings, all of us, when we violate our conscience, well, we don't get caught, right? We don't get caught. But you see it all the time. You see it in, in the media, especially if a person is a famous athlete, right? Just recently, John Morant, one of the greatest players in the whole of NBA, he did a video with a gun. Now he's got to take time off and miss his teammates and miss the games and the playoffs are getting close and all of that. I mean, when people do, I hate to say it, but stupid things, and that's what sin makes us do, right? Stupid things, and we don't listen to our conscience. We get into so many problems. I've heard of so many commentators that have said something out of turn, some comment that is, is bad, and the next thing you know, they're fired, and you never hear of, of them again. So let's listen to our conscience and the Word of God and as it comes through. You know, you can't disable your conscience. You can't disconnect your conscience. But people, what they do is they don't listen to their conscience. That's the difference. Leo Tolstoy said, the antagonism between life and conscience may be removed in two ways, by a change of life or a change of conscience. Well, we can't change our conference, conscience, so we better change our lives to match up with God's word, and then our conscience will be clear. Then our conscience will be pure. Then our conscience will be blameless before the Lord. You know, there's two kinds of sins. One is the sin of commission, when we do wrong, and the other sin is omission, when we don't do right. And that's why James says in James chapter 4 and verse 17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, if I would have been sitting in that courtroom and wanted to take the easy way out, I could have done it. I could have kept silent. I could have not raised my hand. I could have gone with the flow and just, no, no, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And you know yourself very well. And when God wants you to do something and he's impressing it on your heart through your conscience, we need to do it. Not delay it, not postpone it, do it. If he wants you to speak to someone about the Lord, do it. Whatever it is, and God will bless us. And thirdly, not only does the conscience move us, and not only does it warn us, but it also bothers us. Oh, this conscience. They oftentimes liken it, you have two things on your show. One is the little angel, right? And the other is a demon. 
And each one is, you know, whispering in, in your ear, do this. No, don't do that. Do that. And when we violate our conscience, as we mentioned in that definition from the dictionary, there are consequences, and the consequences are guilt. That is one person you don't want to live with, guilt. Guilt is not a friendly person. Guilt makes you feel bad. It makes you feel ashamed. It makes you feel unworthy. And it's not a good thing. But God uses the guilt to get us to repent and be right with God. The worst thing for a Christian is to be out of fellowship with the Lord. And you know it. You've been there before. I've been there before. And you feel isolated. You feel alone. You feel depressed. You feel dirty. You don't feel clean before the Lord. And then when you confess your sin and forsake it, you feel back in fellowship with the Lord and you're rejoicing once again. You know, when you have feelings of guilt, it makes it hard to sleep. It makes it hard to eat. It makes it hard to deal with people. You take things out on people you love, and, and that's not good. And so we lose our peace and everything else, and it's very bad. Some of the worst experiences David had in his life were because he didn't confess his sin to the Lord. After the incident of Bathsheba with the adultery and the murder, he didn't confess it. And the baby died and all these things happened and we know the story from the scriptures. But listen to what he went through. He tells his experience. Why did he do that? Because not only did he want to express it to the Lord, but he gave it to us so that we would see the consequences of guilt in our lives. Listen to this. Psalm 30, and, and the words will come up on the screen. Psalm 32, 2-4. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Nobody wants to go through that. But in the end... It was good for David because his heart was prepared and when Nathan the prophet came in and told him about his sin, and he told him the story, of course, and then he said, you're the man, and then he, he explained to him what he needed to do and David repented and he was forgiven and God didn't take his life. The penalty for what he did should have deserved capital punishment. It should have been death. But God was merciful to David, and when he confessed and forsook his sins, he went on to be one of the greatest, well, I would say the greatest king in the history of Israel and maybe in the whole world ever. And his vitality was returned, his exuberance for the Lord, his enthusiasm, his joy, everything came back. But guilt is like taking your temperature. You take out the thermometer, or nowadays we have the ones where you put it up to your 
your forehead and your you've got a temperature. Now, if you've got a temperature, what does that mean? That means most likely you've got an infection. You need to go into the doctor. You need to get some medication because you've got this fever. And guilt is that way. It drives us back to the bosom of our loving Heavenly Father who doesn't come down hard on us. He loves us, but he wants us to come back and he wants us to ask for forgiveness and then be restored. Yes, guilt. Guilt is terrible. We don't want to go through it. Adam and Eve both experienced guilt in the Garden of Eden. And what did they do? They hid themselves among the trees, thinking that somehow God didn't see them. God didn't know where they were, that they could somehow hide their sin from God. You can't hide your sin from God. But when you bring it out in the open, he will forgive. He is a forgiving God, a loving God, and as we heard this morning already, a God of the second chance and more chances, and such a wonderful God. And he made animal skins for them to cover their selves with it. Interesting story, true story. The scene was San Diego Superior Court. Two men were on trial for armed robbery. An eyewitness took the stand, and the prosecutor moved carefully. So, you say you were at the scene where the robbery took place? Yes. And you saw a vehicle leave at a high rate of speed? Yes. And the prosecutor said, and you, did you observe the occupants? Yes, two men. And the prosecutor boomed. Are those two men present in the court today? At this point, the two defendants sealed their fate. They raised their hands. <clears throat> we think, how foolish is that, right? They would rather do that than suffer the guilt. I've heard of so many times where criminals have, they're not caught. They catch themselves. They turn themselves in because of the guilt, eating them up from the inside out. And that's the way God designed it. He gave us the conscience so that we would use it the right way. In Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6 it says, And I said, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. That's pretty, pretty severe. But that's what was really amazing. Rick, Rick was talking about uh, the Israelites and how in the days of Moses, he talked about obedience, right? And the consequences of disobedience. Then years later, Samuel comes along. What does he talk about? He talks about obedience and the consequence of disobedience. And then, to make matters even worse, later on, after the captivity, they had been in captivity for 70 years because of their disobedience and their idolatry. And then the next thing you know, they're disobeying again. They're, they're turning, turning from the Lord. And that's why Ezra, he was so frustrated, but he confessed the, his sin in it by, because he identified with the people. He wasn't doing it himself, but he identified with the people and talked about the guilt. Talk about guilt. One thief felt guilty, but committed the robbery anyway. He broke into a vacant house by the ocean. He ransacked the rooms. He piled up his plunder in the living room and sat down to rest. Can you imagine? 
<laughs> he's robbing this home, and he takes the time, like he's not going to get caught, right? He'll just sit down here and rest. But he noticed on the table a marble bust of Christ crowned with thorns. The guilty man picked it up, looked at it, and then when he put it back down, he turned the face of Christ around so it wouldn't be looking forward at him. That's guilt. He didn't listen to his conscience. He didn't want to see the face of Christ because it made him feel more guilty. And it really shows what guilt can do. But the Lord will track you down. He'll track me down. He loves us too much to let us go. And he wants us to have the peace and fellowship, not the distance and the guilt. So let's remember today as we close our service to, to strive like Paul to have a conscience blameless before him, a conscience without offense toward either God or men. The Lord has given us a good conscience, a pure conscience, and he wants us to do right and not to do wrong. Our conscience moves us. It'll move us either to do good or to avoid doing bad. Both are important. He warns us of the consequences of violating his truth. Just like the criminals, they know what they're doing is wrong, right? But they do it anyway. And sometimes our conscience bothers us so much, and God can use it in our lives. Now, I'd like to conclude with a poem, very quickly here, a poem that I found about, it's titled Myself, okay? And it has to do with the conscience. I have to live with myself, and so I want to be fit for myself to know. I want to be able, as days go by, always to look myself in the eye. I don't want to stand with the setting sun and hate myself for the things I've done. I don't want to keep on the closet shelf a lot of secrets about myself and fool myself and come and go into thinking that nobody else will know. The kind of man I really am, I don't want to dress up in sham. I, don't want to, I want to go out with my head erect. I want to deserve all men's respect. But here in the struggle for fame and pelf, I want to be able to like myself. I don't want to look at myself and know I'm bluster and bluff, an empty show. I can never hide myself from me. I know what others may never see. I know what others may never know. I never can fool myself. And so, whatever happens, I want to be self-respecting and conscience-free. May God bless our time together today. Shall we close in a word of prayer? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we thank you for the God-given conscience. We thank you, Lord, that you put it into every human being. And you use that conscience, Lord, to bring people to Christ. And I pray if there's anyone in our audience today who has not received you as Lord and Savior, that they will come as they are in their sins, confessing them, repenting of them, asking you to be their Lord and Savior. And we pray that today at least someone will get saved. And we pray as the message of of the word goes out to us as believers. Help us, Lord, to listen to your still small voice speaking to us through our conscience by the Holy Spirit using the word of God. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to live victorious lives, joyful lives, doing the right thing, avoiding the wrong, 
as much as we can living in this body of flesh. And we just thank you and praise you and pray that we'll take a blessing home with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.